You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this discipleship group refinement series, we unpack our church's plan to walk in obedience to God by growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, Again, we are in week two of kind of refining our D groups, just kind of trying to help um, our our efforts in discipling one another. So we're not kind of anchored in one specific text, um, although everything that I'm about to say is anchored in a text. Um, so we'll be kind of bouncing around a little bit today. And for those of you that might not have been here last week as we, we started this process, we're, we're just kind of, again, trying to refine our, our D groups, trying to give you tools, equip you to be able to love one another. And that loving one another is the overarching um, process the theme of what we do as Christians as we we disciple one another and we love one another. Again, last week we looked at the overarching motivation that will drive what we're trying to create, and we don't really create it. Um, when I say we, I'm talking about the elders and the leadership of the theme uh, of the church. Um, the Holy Spirit actually creates it along with the Word of God, and that is a culture of care. That we want to be a faith family who cares well for one another because we believe that if you care well for one another, that speaks volumes to the world around us. Um, so, again, the basis of this, the overarching, kind of like the 20,000 foot view of that, is loving one another. Um, and loving is what we kind of said last week, is looking at the dynamic heart where we're, we're understanding our emotions, and then our volition, or our choosing and our actions. Of course, we know love. I mean, love around us is is always about the emotion, right? But it's so much more than that. It's about what we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ and and what we choose and how we pursue them and in loving them. Love is an action, as Nate has already reiterated, it is an action that is displayed by Jesus Christ. Yes, God loves us, and God has always loved us, but he has sent his son. He did something. He came into this world to do something. He demonstrated his love in tangible ways, namely what he did for us on the cross. Underneath this umbrella of love, and if some of you still have your paper from last week, I I know it kind of messed up and I didn't kind of tell you exactly how to fill parts of that out. We'll we'll kind of double back and just look at that real quick uh, so you can fill it out and have it. And again, the whole plan behind this is you're you're kind of getting the fire hose version of this um, over these Sunday mornings. But we're going to plan on, on, on making some videos and doing some things. That way you have a resource to go to on our website. You know, if, if you just, okay, I just came out of a discipleship group and some things happen and people reveal some suffering or some sin. And how am I going to help them? How am I going to react? And you could go to our website, pull up these resources and, and look at these things to be able to help love your brother and sister well. So that's the mindset. I know that a lot of this is coming out and some of you that are note takers or you know, the pen's on fire, and, and I understand that. Um, and there's no way that you're going to remember everything, and, and that's good because I just want to get it out there and then continue to put it out there and continue to put it out there to where you are so sick of me saying it, then I know that you've actually learned what I said. When you could start finishing my sentences, then we have communicated well and taught everybody well what we're trying to teach them. Again, this this idea that... That, the, the, that loving one another is the umbrella, and then we have these different components. And that first component that we talked about last week was knowing one another. I mean, how, you can't love somebody unless you truly know them, spend some time know, getting to know them. And that's the only way that we'll truly love them well. Again, it was brought to my attention that I handed out those things and I, I didn't put, give you like the spaces to fill out. So if you're looking at your paper, if you do have your paper, um, in, in the left column, you have those four blocks and those four words are listening, right? If we're going to know somebody and spend time with them, we need to listen well. Then we need to ask questions. I gave you some questions, and again, all this will be made available. If you didn't get it, write them down, asking uh, good questions. But the, the motivation behind asking good questions is a genuine curiosity. 
that you really want to know what the person's saying, that you're not trying to formulate your, your response really quick and, and things like that. So you're asking questions with the genuineness to want to know and learn from that person about what they're going through, what they're struggling with, and just who they are in general. And then we also said when we're listening, as we're listening well, we need to interpret what we're hearing. And we interpret in, in these two main broad categories. What we're hearing is we're either hearing a person suffering from the sin within them or the sin from without or just living in this fallen world. And so we, we're listening. Are, are they suffering? Or maybe we have to do the harder one. Are we listening for, because they're just sinning? And they're really struggling and they're really having a hard problem because they are sinning. And then the last one is considering. And that's simply, okay, consider what they might need next. Consider what is the best course of action, what is the best thing to do next. So consider what you've heard, the questions you've asked, how you've brought it through that, that lens as your interpreting lens so that's kind of the, the left column. And then the middle column has a bunch of things, and, and we will get through each one of them today. Some of them, um, just straight up, some of them I'm just going to mention because I don't have enough time to dive into each one of them. But coming in the future are, are things that will be on the website as we unpack these different things just to try to give you a place to go and, and help you in your discipleship time with one another. Um, so today we're going to look at two more components. The two components are, as Native already alluded to, sacrificially serving and truthfully speaking. Let me pray real quick and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Father, thank you that you have called us to love one another well. And Lord, you've given us so much in your word to show us how to do that well. Father, I pray that, that as we hear your word, Lord, that the Spirit will work in our hearts. Your will is for us to be sanctified. And in essence, this is what all this is about, Lord. It's to help us to become more like you as we love one another in our messy lives. Lord, please help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, at the very core, as we, we kind of said last week, at the very core of all ministry is prayerfully speaking God's word to one another. I mean, we could do a lot of things, but it, it isn't Christian ministry, it isn't gospel ministry, unless you are speaking God's word to one another. Because anything else is just our opinion or somebody else's opinion. Right? We need to get to the word and we need to use the word. But not only is it his word that does that, it's also us serving them. In such a way. We, again, we have a great model in Jesus in, in the way he served us. And Peter, in his first letter, this is the passage that Tim read for us, he shows us that loving has, has kind of like two sides of the same coin, where it's talking about serving and it's also talking about speaking the truth in love. Let me just read verses 10 and 11 of that. As each has received a gift, and we're all been given some sort of gift, and we all can talk, and we all can you know, read and, and understand the word or have people help us understand the word so we can speak to word, the word to one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Isn't that, it's just a beautiful reminder there that God does not call you to do anything that he doesn't give you the ability or the power to do. It's just a wonderful thing. It's just a wonderful promise to hold on to. This is whether or not we can get out of the way to allow the Spirit and the Word to work through us or in us, whichever is needed. He goes on to say, in order that in everything God may be glorified, there's the goal for everything that we do, that He is glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I just want you to stop and think about something for a moment. Is Passion Week. Jesus is obviously knows where he's going. It's, it's already been determined. And um, he's now with his disciples, the, the 12 that are closest to him and, and some others that are with him. And the, the night before, the most loving act in history, which is Jesus going to the cross in our place to take the wrath that we deserve, 
What is Jesus doing? What do we find him doing in that time? I mean, if Joe's planning things out, I can think of a lot of things I would be doing, but Jesus is trying to show his disciples something. What did he do? He spent a portion of that time washing his disciples' feet. Let me just read that account in in John 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, in other words, he's saying, I'm your teacher. I'm the one you are following. Here's my example. Right? If we are disciples of Jesus, if that's who we are, if we are following Jesus, right? He's saying, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. An example, it's not an ordinance, but it's an example of of how to serve. That you also should do just as I have done to you. So I ask this question, and we'll just get right into it. If I would have you pull out your Google calendars right now, and threw them up here on the screen, does serving your brother and sister in Christ make the calendar? Are we purposefully putting in time, I need to serve that person, I need to serve that person, I need to serve that person. This person's going through this hardship, this person. Now, obviously, we can't serve everybody, but that's why we have discipleship groups. So that you're in a group, in a, in a core group with three to five people. Now, you can serve those three to five people, and then if time allows or your life allows, um, then you can tap into serving some of the other needs and differences in people of the church, but it's just more than when you're asked, right? It, it becomes part of your life. Like, are you looking for opportunities to serve? Are, are you looking for an opportunity to serve your sister, you know, to serve your brother and sister in Christ? Are we looking for those opportunities? Now, there's many ways that we can serve one another. We will now narrow it down to five that helps us in our D groups. There's a ton of one another's in there that, that we can put under the, the serving. And, and here's the words that we're using that you can put down on your sheet for the first five of the things. And again, we're going to unpack um, a couple of them, and, and we're just going to mention others just um, because of the time that we have together. And the five things are praying for one another, pursuing one another, sharing uh, life with one another, bearing with one another, and forgiving with one another. And I can't, I'm so glad that pray is there first. Um, the greatest and most important way that you can serve is to pray for each other. It's to pray for each other. Why is this most important? Because anything short of, of the Holy Spirit changing a person is just behavior modification. Again, we go back a couple different weeks. We're talking about are we trying to help them change from the heart? Or are we just trying to help them staple some new fruit on their tree that looks different than the old? Or do we truly want them to change? And you know what? Prayer is the number one strategy. It's through prayer that this happens. Because Joe or, or Stefan or Mark or anybody in this room can't change another person. Only the Holy Spirit with the Word of God can change another person. Yes, we can, we, can, we can give them some practices. We can give them um, some things that helped us in the past. But truly, when it gets down to the core of things, only the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can change a person. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, it's, I read these things all week long and I'm like, man, I got to stand up there and ask these questions. And it's like, well, you know, I got to look in the mirror first, right? So does this attitude saturate your personal ministry? Apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. Like, or, or do we have a list of things that we put up here and say, I can't do it because, I can't do it because, I can't do it because, I can't do it because. And whatever it is that we put up there. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know what to say. How can I help that person? But what if it's, what if you're saturating 
your discipleship group, you're saturating your ministry because we all have ministry. We all are called to speak the word of God to one another. What if you saturate that in prayer first and you ask God to help and you ask the Spirit to work? And here's one way to think of it. I mean, just think about how, how you interact with folks, and, and maybe this will they'll help you just kind of discern, okay, am I doing this well? Do I need to work on this? Do I, you know. When you are discipling someone, do you spend more time talking to that person, or do you spend more time talking to God about that person? Because it shows you, your words show you what you trust in. Right? So if, if you're discipling people, if it's all about you speaking to them, then you're trusting your words. But if you spend more time, if it's out of balance in, you know, I'm taking my brother or sister to you, in Lord, and you're taking them to him all the time. You're spending more time talking to God about them than you talk to them. It shows where our trust is in. When we use more words towards a person than we use towards God about the person, it shows we believe they need our help more than God's help. And see, that's not something that you should feel condemnation about. That's something you should feel freedom about. It's like, oh, this isn't about me. No, it's not. I don't have to do it. No, you don't. You just need to be a willing vessel. And, and the amazing thing is, is God chose to do it this way. And he wants you to be part of it. And as you do it, your relationship with your Father in heaven grows closer. And you have more joy. And you have a fulfill, fulf, more fulfilling life. But we got to be active. we got to be moving towards people. The single greatest way to serve anyone is to take time to intercede for them. Is to take time to intercede for them. Because, let's be truthful, people need God's help far more than they need our help. They need God's help far more than they need our help. And just reflect. We have promises Reflect on the promises from Matthew 7, and I'm just going to read it. Ask, and if it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And don't be afraid of that passage just because so many people turned that into a prosperity passage. How about you, you, if you're praying that prayer, if you're resting on that promise to help someone because they just lost a loved one or because they're struggling with a sin and you're asking your Father in heaven to, to help them through that, those are the things that he's like, you think I'm going to give you a bad gift when you're asking me that? So don't be afraid of passages and promises like that that have been twisted by some people. Boldly go before him, expecting God to do something. You are talking about one of his children. Besides that, he already knows what's going on. God wants you to go to him. In fact, he loves you so much that right now Jesus is doing the very thing that he is calling you to do. The Bible shows us that Jesus speaks to the Father on our behalf. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is at the right hand of the God and is also interceding for us. In 1 John 2.1 we read that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. And from Hebrews 7.25 we learn that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. He's interceding. Intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we love people, we will pray for them. But our service does not stop there. We touched on this last week. We pray for them and we pursue them. We pursue them. When life is going well, we want to pursue our sisters and brothers because we want to share in their joy and in them glorifying God for it. 
We want to share in that. Not to rob the glory, not to give the glory to them. But to share in them giving glory to God before what he's doing because they're experiencing joy in, in life. And then even on the flip side, when life is not going so well, we want to pursue so that we can share in their grief and weep with them if needed. Jesus gave us this example. He went to people and said, come follow me. He pursued them. He went after them. It's what we're called to do. I mean, just stop and think about it. If everybody in your discipleship group was pursuing one another, uh, oftentimes what happens in, whenever you get a group of people, there's like one person that's doing all the pursuing, and the rest of them are like, I- I'm not sure what to do. Well, you have now permission to start pursuing one another. Not that you need pers- permission. And brothers and sisters here, and I know so many times and in so many ways that, that we look at our technology and we find all the bad in it. But here's one place where we can praise our technology. Not that this should completely replace in-person time together. But you can do a lot of intentional discipling with our technology. An encouragement text or video. Anything that, that can... To help our brothers and sisters when they start today, the if they got out of bed and, and they're looking, just looking at a miserable day, for whatever reason they're having a miserable day, and, and one of their people in their discipleship group or within their church, there's a, there's a text right there, and they read, maybe it's scripture, or maybe it's just encouragement, or, or maybe you're, you're telling them you know, what you see God doing in their life and, and how thankful you are that God has put you in their life, in, in your own life. How would that change your day? How does that change your day? I mean, so we have technology. We can, we can use it to, the, to our, our advantage. And, and by the way, if you are praying for that person, it will feed the pursuing. Because you're already praying for them. In, in a way, you're, you're pursuing them because you're going to the Father on their behalf. And then as you go to the Father on their behalf... It's easy to, to then later on tell them what you're talking to God about. It would fundamentally change church. The people, not the building, change church. Just think, I mean, if, if you woke up tomorrow and someone sent you a message, I thank God for you and here's why. It'll fundamentally change your whole day. So we have praying, we have pursuing. Again, as I said before, the next two I will only mention, and that is sharing. Acts 2, 42 through 45, probably a very familiar passage for everyone. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing receipts to all as any had need. Do you share your lives with each other? On, on whatever level you're at, do you share your lives with one another? So we got praying, we got pursuing, we got sharing, and then we got bearing. We bear with one another. Right? There's, there's, there's folks in our faith family that might rub you wrong. In fact, I might be one of them. But you're here because God called you here. So will you bear with that brother and sister? They might have different opinions on this or different opinions on that, but will you bear with them? I mean, we all, as, a, as church members, sign a covenant that says as much, that you will bear with your brother and sister in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice what he says. Not just willing 
Oh, I'll put up with that person for, for, no, eager to bear. Eager to bear with one another. That's how church, it's the only way that church can actually function as church is if the only thing that brings us all here is because we're in Christ. Or you're going to have some simile of church that really kind of leans into um, giving glory to something else because we're all of one mind, like-minded. The only like-mindedness in a church should be that we're in Christ and He gets the glory. Again, not willing, but eager. So praying, pursuing, sharing, bearing, and finally forgiving. This is how we serve one another. This, of course, is really important and sometimes really tough to navigate. In, in, in fact, you know, that could have been a whole sermon on itself. Colossians 3, 12-13 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. There's your motivation. There's your reason. This is why we forgive, because Christ has forgiven you. And I know, we like to scream, I do it too. That's not fair. Put yourself in Christ's place. Put yourself in Christ's place. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And that is not a, a that is not like a light switch. It's not like, oh, I, for, I forgive. I don't, you know, it's not that way. It is a process. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you forgive and never get to talk to the person that hurt you. Maybe it's a good thing that you forgive and never talk to the person that hurt you. Because maybe the, the ongoing relationship's not healthy. So those people who you have been praying for, who you have intentionally been pursuing, who you have been getting to know better, guess what? They're going to sin against you. Probably because you're pursuing them. And they don't, they don't like what you're doing. They don't like the fact that you're, you're coming. Look, look, Brother Sam, there, there's this, this thing in your life, and this is what the Word says. Do you agree? Then let, let's talk about that. Then they might get mad and, and sin against you. Or, or just the life around them that is dumping on them, you might get a little residual on you, right? It's going to happen. Their mess will spill out onto you at some point in time. In fact, I hope you are walking close enough with somebody in your life that there's a bunch of mess spilled out on you. Man, that's the church. That's the body believers that are in Christ who, who know that their guilt and their shame have been covered. And they can step in and love one another well. And we must forgive, we must bear that burden. Forgive and continue to pursue and love and pray. And I said last week, what does this accomplish? It accomplishes trust. Because trust is built on rupture and repair. When a relationship is ruptured and then it's repaired by the gospel, you build trust. This is how every relationship builds trust. Through rupture and repair. Now just to recap the five words put on your paper. Praying, sharing, bearing, Forgiving. That's only four. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. These are some ways we sacrificially serve, and we are to speak the truth in love. It's just kind of the flip side of the coin that Peter's showing us. Is we are now to speak the truth in love. And like, oh, that's the one I don't like, Joe. Because usually when I speak the truth in love, a lot of stuff comes back at me, right? But that's okay. That's why you rupture and repair this relationship. There are people in my life that I will call out on a dime. And there's people in my life that I need to, that I'm still trying to tell God to kick me in the butt to, to go talk to this person, right? And I would imagine each one of you have people like that in your life as well. But that's because those people that I'll call out on a dime... I trust them. I know that they love me unconditionally, not because of Joe's an awesome person, but because we're in Christ together. Man, 
That's a wonderful relationship to have. It's a wonderful relationship to have. And we all know that when we speak, that words can be used for good or bad, right? We can tear people down so much easier than we can build them up. And, you know, unfortunately, it's probably always been that way. It's just modified because we know what everybody says. <laughs> we could find out what every single person says about every single thing now. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't do that. And that's really not that long ago. You couldn't do that. Proverbs twelve eighteen even tells us this. It says, there is one whose rash words are like swords thrust. In other words, that you can use your words to, like a sword thrusted in somebody. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Someone who truly cares and knows the person is pursuing them, asking good questions, doing all the things that we're talking about. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Here's the motive. Why are we doing this? Why are we speaking the truth in love? So that we can grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He goes on to talk in, in Ephesians 4 about the unity, right? the unity of the church. So how often should we speak the truth in love? How often should we do this? Only sometimes, part of the time, only when we meet discipleship groups, only when the pastor says, hey, you all should do this. No. The writer of Hebrews tells us in 3, 12 through 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's like a, a bad dad joke, right? When should we speak the truth in love? As long as it's called today. Or in every day that ends in why. So to fill the rest of your boxes in that center thing, how are we going to do this? How are we going to speak? What are some categories that we could kind of think through? We have affirming, correcting, teaching, and giving hope. Affirming, correcting, teaching, and giving hope. Two of these I'm going to expand a bit. Two of them I'm just going to mention. First of all, affirming. Man, this, this is so big for our culture today. I mean, it, no matter, even if you're just you know, you jump on your phone just to, because you, you know that you're meeting up with somebody or, or, or maybe, you know, your spouse is bringing the kids and you're trying to coordinate all these things. I mean, you jump on your phone and if you just only hit one app, then you're good. But if you, but you're going to get notifications and, and just, it just gets, you get dumped on all the time. Negative, 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 tear down, tear down all the time. This world needs people that are willing to affirm one another in a biblical way. Not to tell everybody how awesome they are so they can get something from them, but to biblically affirm them. It's not about praising their name, it's praising God's name through them. This is pointing out God's work in them so that you bring glory to the Lord, because that's our goal, that's what we're doing everything for. This is so desperately needed. I desperately need to learn how to do this better. I mean, I, I just sitting at the, at, the, at the campfire, I am so bad at this. We're sitting at the campfire, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, all right, they're playing this song, and this, this, this woman is going to go to the stratosphere, and nobody's going to be able to sing. And I had to open my mouth and, and point that fact out, right? It's just like... No, how about affirming that everybody was there singing, you know, and I, I, I don't know, I, I, I need help with this. This is, I think it's a hard thing to do. Some people are really good at it, they just do it naturally. 
And I'll probably, one of the things I do, and whenever Joe's, God reveals something in his heart, I look around and see who do it well, and then I go spend some time with those people and allow them to teach me what I don't do very well. Or I do the other thing, I buy a book and read about it. And I am reading a book about this, by the way. <laughs> should not surprise anybody that knows me. It's called Practicing Affirmation. And so far, I'm like three chapters in. I would recommend it if you're someone that's like, I know I need to do that. The Bible says I need to do that, but I'm not very good at that. Um, but the first thing I would do is find somebody that's good with it and hang out. Take them out to lunch. Take them out to dinner. I take Stefan out all the time just so I can learn how to affirm people well. <laughs> when you look at the four words under speaking truth on your paper, there are two that are um, our world desperately needs, and that is affirmation and hope. It's our world around us is, is absolutely empty on those two things. In one of the most affirming letters in Paul's writings, he says this to the church in Thessalonica. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he's affirming that what they're doing well and calling them to do it more. Paul was affirming their walk with the Lord and asking them to do so more and more. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Again, he's affirming what God is working out through them, that they're already doing this, and he's affirming that they should do it more and more. Another way Paul expressed this is often he would say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for you, and then you tell the person why you're thankful for them. You tell the person what you see God doing through them and in them. We all need good biblical affirmation. Not affirmation that puffs us up, but affirmation that gives God the glory. That gives Him the glory. We are to speak affirmation, and we're also to speak correction. And we are to teach. And again, I'm just mentioning those as we don't have enough time to dig deep. But we are to correct. And you do that lovingly and you do that with an open Bible. And we are to do that to teach. And we are to do that lovingly and with an open Bible. You want some homework? Take 2 Timothy 3.16 and just stop and think about this is what God says that the Word of God can do. For us, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So there's our call. The Word of God is our, right, it's our arbiter of truth. This is where we get it all from the Word of God. Not somebody's opinion, not this, that, and the other, but we get it from the Word of God. We correct in the spirit of what Jesus taught us about root member going back. He says, if you're going to go and correct somebody, if you're going to call somebody out, so to speak, what do you need to do? You need to get the beam out of your eye so that you can see the speck in your brother or sister's eye. That's the spirit that we're going in when we go to correct. We affirm, we correct, and we teach. It's no good to tell somebody all the things they're doing wrong without helping them to see what they could be doing right or applying the gospel to what they're doing. So yes, if we're going to correct, we also have to teach. And you should know both ends of that. And if you don't know both ends of that, you seek out wiser people to help you with that. And then you can go. In fact, if you think about, especially when you're sinned against, if you think about the Matthew passage that everyone calls church discipline, really, it's about pursuing one another. It's like, if you sin against me, I'm going to pursue you and, and ask for forgiveness. And if you, or if I see something in you that, that the Bible is, is, you're living contrary to the Bible, and, and I'm pursuing you, and I'm trying to correct you, and, and you're like, I don't, want, I'm, I don't care what you say. Well, then I'm supposed to go get a couple more people and bring it. It's all about pursuing people and discipleship. But we do all this under the banner of love. And we teach by using the Bible. So we affirm, we correct, and teach. And lastly, we do the one thing that the world cannot offer. The world cannot offer this. We give hope. 
we give hope. One of the most common experiences we have in living out our messy lives is from time to time, all of us, from time to time, we lose hope. Right? We, we feel like we can't see beyond tomorrow or the next two hours or whatever the obstacle is in our life. From time to time, all of us experience this. In some way, in some form or fashion, we lose hope. Again, people are tempted to say things like, it will always be this way. There is no way out. Nothing will ever change. There's not hope in the midst of this. If anybody in this world should be hope dealers, it should be disciples of Christ. It should be disciples of Christ. I'm not saying that we, we're not ever the ones that kind of lose hope now and again. We're going to. But we need our brothers and sisters to come around us and, and build that hope back up. To show us that, that God has a, a, a great and wonderful, perfect plan. We might not be able to see it, and we have a lot of questions about it. I know I always have a lot of questions. I don't know about you, but I always have a lot of questions. But I trust him. It's amazing that, that so many people will, will trust. That, you know, are, are, do you believe in Christ? Yes. Do you believe you're forgiven? Yes. But they have such a hard time, and I think we all do this. We like, have such a hard time that believing that one day we get to spend eternity with him, but he's not going to help us tomorrow. Like, and that's the blindness of sin. That's the blindness of the fallen world. That's the blindness of the flesh that we still live in. And that's why we need brothers and sisters to be loving and pursuing us, speaking the truth and love to one another. What everyone needs in every mess of life is a reason for hope. And we have that reason in Jesus Christ. Hopelessness, here's the root of it. It's, it's the root of hopelessness. And again, we all experience we all, this is why we're, we're trying to build up discipleship groups and trying to help you because we all do these things and we want to be able to help one another get past them. So the root, whenever we talk about here's hopelessness, it would be a fruit. How do you get down to the root? Well, the root is an, is an idol. It is something that we think we have to have to be happy that we are not getting. That's the root of it. You are worshiping something other than God. You're saying, I don't have this or can't see the end of this or can't see beyond this. And because of that, it's hopeless. Well, what you're really saying is I'm worshiping that thing more than God. And I know that's, that sometimes it's hard to, to hear. And, and I know there, there might be people sitting here today that like, gee, I came in with a, uh, and, and then you just, just like laid the lumber on me here. But you need to see the roots so you can dig it up, apply the gospel to it, see what Christ has done, and move beyond it. And that is a loving thing to do. That is a loving thing to do. So hopelessness is that at the root of, if I only had blank, everything will be all right. That blank is an idol. If I only had blank, everything will be all right. That blank is an idol. And you're worshiping it above God. Providing hope is so much more than throwing out some platitudes. Giving hope is much more than saying, don't worry, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. Everything is going to work out. Giving hope is more than that. Because, see, you're not going to be able to give hope unless you know the person, unless you're pursuing them, unless you are in a relationship with them, unless you're doing all these other things. So see, if we're, we're not investing in other people, then all the things, all the one another's that the Bible says, we're really just doing them for ourselves to say, I did that, I did that. But if we're actually loving and pursuing people, then what we could do is... is, is Point them to the glory of God in all of it. Or point them to the glory of God in all of it. 
I mean, a lot of times platitudes are like throwing water on a grease fire. That never works out well. It just makes things worse. The way to give hope is not in platitudes, but in assured promises given by God in His Word. There are some meaty, good, wonderful promises in His Word that we need to hang our lives on each and every day. That we can replace that blank with a promise of God. We can replace that blank with the promise of God. Wayne Mack gives a good definition of true biblical hope. True hope is a biblically, a biblically expectation of good. An expectation based on the promises of God. True hope is a biblically, ex, biblically expectation of good. An expectation based on the promises of God. Confidence that it is actually going to be okay. That it becomes not a platitude whenever you're backing it up with a promise of God. Because it's not a platitude, but it's in proof because it has been revealed by God through His promises. Hope essentially the reminder that God is real, that transformation is possible, and the best is yet to come. We can go to all kinds of scripture to see this, and, and I'm going to go to the one that's spewed out the most as a platitude, <laughs> Romans 8, 28-29. This is a hope builder as long as it isn't used as a platitude. You know how it is said in such a way that it's not a platitude if you are in relationship. Where you are loving the person by knowing them, by sacrificially serving them, by affirming who they are in Christ, then when you pull out the verse most of all of you have memorized, it means something different than a platitude. It becomes a source of hope. It is a beautiful promise. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. God promised no matter the mess, we find ourselves... God promises that no matter the mess that we find ourselves in, He can and He will redeem it. He will. It might be not in our timing, but he will redeem it. He will redeem if for our good, and that good is to become more like Christ. Not only can we rest in God's promises for this world, he gives us promises and expectations for beyond this world. Let's conclude with Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and another wonderful promise. He says this. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And you might wonder... What does this passage have to do with my personal ministry? If you walk through Scripture and categorize different passages, you would take this passage and where would you put it? Every, most everybody would stick it in eschatology. This belongs in the study of end times, and so now we need to argue about it and write books about it and, and pick it apart and, and divide and do Satan's work. I mean, this passage is for the curious. It's not for us, those that are trying to disciple one another, right? To try to give hope in the midst of our mess. Well, let me read verse 18 and give you Paul's purpose for telling you this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's why these words are written. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is a discipleship passage. This is a gospel care passage. This is a hope-filled passage, not written for seminary nerds that want to figure out all the questions about it. This passage is for you and me, on the ground, in everyday life, dealing with our mess. This passage is for you, it is for me. In the midst of this, uh, in the mess, in the midst of the seemingly hopelessness, in the midst of thinking that none of this can be redeemed, Paul says, I want you to encourage one another with the words that Jesus promises that one day you are going to be with him. One day you will be with him. That one day he is going to return and the trumpet of command um, is going to sound and he is going to bring you into his presence. Promise after promise after promise. And we will always be with him. For all eternity. No matter what you're experiencing now, no matter how big the mess, how deep the hole, no matter how hard or how impossible it seems, Jesus Christ will return and take you to be with Him for eternity. This life is just a blip compared to the eternity we get to be with our Savior. So, forever, always, Encourage one another with these words. Speak this to one another. Remind each other of the wonderful promises of God in Jesus Christ. We all are adopted children, reminding each other what our Father has promised us. Because Jesus lived a life we could not live and died a death we deserved, we have been adopted into his family, and because of what Christ has done, we should love one another. We love one another by knowing one another, serving one another, speaking the truth and love to one another. This is how we love messy people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your promises that give us so much hope. Again, Father, I pray that your word is working in the hearts of your children through the power of the Spirit to change them from one glory to another. Lord, I pray if anyone comes here discouraged that they can see the hope that they have in Christ. I pray if anyone here within the sound of my voice, knows somebody that's discouraged, that they would pursue them, that they would go after them, that they would remind them of the promises of God. They are a child of God. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, again, I just ask and beg you to work in our lives through your spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.